Hello, friends, and welcome to There's No People Like Show People, the podcast that connects and reconnects the theater community, inspires hope, and strives to help people not feel so alone. I am your host, Sarah Philobom. Happy New Year! Welcome back, show people, artists, educators, administrators, creatives, creators, and anyone out there in the arts. Or you know what? Maybe you're not in the arts and you're like, hey, I just want to listen to this cool podcast. We're so glad that you're here. If you want to follow us on the social medias, please do. For updates on the show, please follow us on Instagram at There's No People Like Show People. And while you're there, check out our sister podcast called Transformation, the Untold Stories of Motherhood, and follow along at Transformation Motherhood Pod. We can't thank you enough for listening and for your continued support. Wishing you a very happy, peaceful, and calm 2024. Okay, friends. Hello, hello. January. A little known fact, or maybe not a little known fact. I think I'm pretty like loud and vocal about it. January is my least favorite month of the year because it is cold. And I feel like there's all these expectations to like, you got to be better, like New Year's resolutions, but you know, better version of you, like things are starting over again. And I'm just like, I want to go into hibernation. Like I want to take the whole month of January and do nothing, but I can't really do that. I can't do that when I have two jobs and two podcasts and one child and a lot of hopes and dreams and ambitions over here. Um, I'm, I'm just like, I don't know. I am, I'm trying to think of the right word. I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I'm, uh, I'm in awe. We have a fantastic guest for you today. Um, old, old friend. We haven't seen each other in almost seven years, which is crazy town. And we've, I think we've actually only done one show together, which is also crazy town because is that true? I think that's one. It's funny because we had so much crossover with Christmas Carol, but we never toured together. We never did the tour together. We we were on opposite tours. We saw each other on tour. Um, in well, like maybe I would see you in the basement of Crescent Moon for Das Boot. <laughs> Probably. Right. Probably. No. Um, but we actually. So he describes himself as a traveling vagabond actor. I think that is the perfect description. He is so charming, so talented, so kind. Uh, great to work with. I actually, one of my most favorite, I think one of my favorite shows I've ever done is the music man. And so today I think we're going to like take a little, little skip, hop and a jump down nostalgia lane back to river city. Um, when we had this great, like little dance solo in the front of 76 trombones together. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Andy Brown. Hello, welcome. Thank you for having me. With that introduction, I feel like we should end on a high note. <laughs> Have a great 2024, people. You know? See you. See you in 2025. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That was the episode. That's, that's it. You know. Oh my God! Just kidding. Yeah, we got to talk about. Um, I th- honestly like Andy. I don't know if you remember this, but it's like we were right in the front dancing, um, doing these like marches and like pretending to have a trombone. 
I vaguely recall that. The thing that I remember most, because I played Charlie Cowell, but I was also like the constable or something like that. So that's what I would have been dancing as, the constable at that point. I just remember the monstrous, because um, Circa 21 uses tracks, mm -hmm. much like Springer Opera House, where I am now, they use tracks. So getting out of that opening train sequence out of Charlie Cowell and running out there and getting into my constable outfit for I was stubborn was that was a crapshoot, but, but yeah, but always fun. Quick change. Thank you, Greg artist. Hyatt, for quick rigging. <laughs> yes. Greg, All right. Brilliantly. Um, yes, but anyway. Um, before we like get too ahead of ourselves, will you tell our listeners where are you from? Where did you where did you grow up? Sort of like how did you first get into theater? And do you remember the very first show that you that you did? The year was 1975. <laughs> I was birthed in the small town of Mackenzie, Tennessee. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, you're not going to have to put up with an hour of this. Um, but yeah, Mackenzie, Tennessee, it's a small town in West Tennessee, about 5,600 people, about the same size, size as uh, Macon, Missouri, where we've both worked. Um, so... Grew up there about um, two hours from Memphis, two hours from Nashville, so a nice equidistant area there. But so close enough to get somewhere big, but small enough to really just have a lot of good memories growing up. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. What was like? How like? What was the first show that you performed in? Um, I was like when I was examining that question. I was like, well, there's probably a very direct answer, but the the abbreviated long way around is that I did a lot of church plays. Mm -hmm. And it's so fun to hear when uh, they have chat backs at other theaters where I've worked. And a lot of people started doing theater from church plays. And I love that. Mm -hmm. And you know, from your theater history that uh, way, way, way back in the day, theater sometimes was housed in the church so it's, mm -hmm. it's neat to see that um but anywho so church plays which then led to um like middle school high school stuff but my first interestingly uh, role that i was super duper proud of was the music man my freshman or sophomore year in high school the local college uh, bethel university was doing Music Man and they had community auditions. Back then they had a lot of community participation. And I went and auditioned um, and I was cast as Charlie Cowell, <laughs> who I played at Circa 21. Yes. So um, my Charlie Cowell though, back then was vastly different. Um, than my Charlie back in you know, 2017 when we did it together. So that was that was my first experience. And I went on and did, you know, of course, high school shows, but I went on and did two or three more shows at Bethel College when I was in high school uh, as a mm -hmm. community. So it nice. was a lot of fun. So then how did you, I mean, I was looking through your 
you know, extensive resume of theaters that you've worked at. I mean, you've worked all over the country. So like sort of what began your traveling vagabond actor life? Um, you know, when I went to college, I actually wasn't even majoring in theater. Uh, I was majoring in like psychology. I thought I'd be a clinical psychologist. And um, at freshman orientation, a uh, leader was like, hey, they're doing auditions for the fall, the first show of the fall on Monday, you should come by. And I was like, oh, well, I did you know, some theater in high school, but I, I should probably take a break. And she said, just sit in, just watch, you know. I went, great. So I went to the audition and about 30 minutes in, the director turned around and said, sure, you don't want to get up and read? And I went up and read and did five shows that year. So <laughs> all that to say, it was, wasn't necessarily something that initially I even thought that I would or could do as a legitimate profession. Mm -hmm. But um, my next to last year in college, for two summers, I went out to Western Nebraska to a place called Theater West. It's a summer rep. They do three shows, usually two musicals, one non-musical. And my uh, mentor in college started it like back in the 90s or something. Um, so she took some of her students out there. We did Forever Plaid, which is near and dear to my heart. Uh, Fiddler, you know, Moon Over Buffalo, Forum, Steel Magnolias, a lot of great, great shows. But um, so that was my first. And then after I graduated college, I wasn't exactly because I hadn't gone to UPTA, didn't even know exactly what UPTA was at that point. Had been to SETC, but my experiences at SETC didn't compare to my UPTA experiences. But um, so my career has been theater, something else, theater, something else, theater, something else. I always come back. It's it's like, um, you know, Godfather or something. I can't get away. But um, so I was a college recruiter for a few years slash assistant director of admissions. And I was like, I need to be doing theater because I did some stuff during that time. Um, so really moved to Florida, did some theater there, did some theater, you know, out in Nebraska. And then after another hiatus in insurance, I, in 2008, um, did like really launched it where theater was the thing with maybe some temping and, you know, restaurant work, mm -hmm. um, on the side but it, it's always been part of my life it feels like just with a few uh, um, sideways career mm -hmm. yeah well and also like I know so obviously the pandemic was just like crazy town for everybody and like a lot of major changes and shifts and People were doing this one thing and then all of a sudden, boom, pandemic. And now they're doing something totally different. And a lot of people even just now are coming back to theater. And so I know like that has been a big part of your journey as well. Um, I loved when you, cause you worked for Amtrak for a while. And so you were like traveling <laughs> around the country. Yes. But I think you just, you love to travel, right? I love to travel. And, you know, yeah. I had applied at that point. Um, this was late fall of uh, 2021 
beginning of the year 2022, I had applied to like airlines and then I saw on, on Indeed that Amtrak popped up and I thought, well, that could be that could be fun. I've been on an Amtrak before, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I applied and, you know, had the interview, got hired, loved that. Um, I was on the long haul trains, which means uh, most of the trips I was on were usually six or seven day round trip. So if I was on the California Zephyr, we would leave Chicago, head to like the Oakland area, stay the night, turn around, come back. So six day round trip, uh, except like in their downtime, it, you would have like a two day layover and then come back which was awesome mm -hmm. because then I could take the ferry to San Francisco and do some exploring. The other one I did predominantly was the um, empire builder from Chicago to Portland, Oregon. And I have a college friend who lives there, she and her kids. Uh, uh, so it was great to be able to reconnect with them. And, uh, but yeah, it was lovely. I loved the work. I loved the pe people. Um, it, you know, I think sometimes, in a lot of businesses, what run what throws a wrench into it is management, and uh, in this case, engineering. And it's like um, I couldn't commit to twenty plus years of that, knowing that realistically there weren't going to be any monumental changes to make that more efficient and consistent. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so. yeah. But I love, I love travel. I do, I do. Yeah, I mean, it's clear. Like you can just tell, especially from your social media posts and, um, you know, if you didn't love to, like there's, I think there's the people in this business who they kind of are here, there and everywhere. Um, and then there's the people who just sort of like move to like one city or one area and like, they really just want to be there. So it's like the people who mostly like they move to Chicago and they do like Chicago theater, they move to DC, they do a lot of shows in DC, like a sort of like a theater hub or like center. And then kind of like you and me, like we're, we've kind of been like all over the place, which is cool because we know people from everywhere. Right. Yeah. You know, um, I lived in Chicago for about six years and uh, prior to that, I was in New York for about a year like a good chunk of the year was away for a Christmas Carol tour and went back, yada, yada. Um, I kind of prefer New York. Um, <laughs> just do. Um, I, I definitely enjoyed my time in Chicago, but um, I've always been, and you probably know about this. There are a lot of stipend shows in Chicago. Yeah. Like storefront type thing. It's not like when you're working at a regional theater where and not to say the pay is glamour, glamorous or whatever in these right. regional places, but it's still more than. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I'm already working X job. So if I'm going to take time off from X job, it has to be for more than a stipend. Mm -hmm. The big, big players in Chicago, are, of course, some really out in the outskirts of the town, like the Drury Lane, the Marriott, Lincolnshire, mm -hmm. Paramount. You know, an Aurora, those are the ones that, you know, are a little more lucrative money wise. Um, but again, those are the ones that are also kind of outside the, the city. Mm -hmm. What Well, what do you think are some of the things that you have really struggled with when it comes to this career? I mean, 
there's hundreds of different kinds of struggles, whether it's financial or personal, mental health, like it can be anything personal or professional. Like what has, what has been challenging for you? So um, let's say between, um, you know, 2002 and 2006, for example, you know, I did some work out Western Nebraska, a little bit in Florida, my first summer in Creed, Colorado, which has been a dear place to me for the past 18 almost 19 years now. Um, that's been a big part. So uh, as far as the challenges, um, I was always able to make the vagabond thing work because was not maintaining a resident residence. Mm -hmm. My friends, or I have a number of friends that maybe they have an apartment that they sublet in New York or in Chicago or this or that. And, um, and that's fine. Um, I would probably consider doing that in New York, but um, the way I was able to make it work was the vagabond thing. I lived fairly minimalist. I had a few boxes maybe at my dad's out of the way uh, or my sister's in Nashville, and I would just work contract to contract. Um, the financial is always... Uh, the thing because, and especially after having worked at some really, I worked at a really lovely fine dining restaurant when I lived in New York City. And after getting that money, and I was still doing theater then, but it allows you to kind of get that nest egg. You know, there have been some years where uh, I'll do theater work winter, fall, spring, and I may turn down projects in the summer if I don't find them professionally important enough mm -hmm. because I can go say Colorado work at you know restaurant x and make enough money to bankroll the rest of my year yeah or supplement what I'm doing theater wise so um and some people are like, but summer's the best time to be doing theater. I said, well, if if it's one, a show that's important to you, two, a role that is going to be meaningful for your resume, um, or three, I always try to add, I don't know what your philosophy is on that. I always love to be able to add one or two new theaters a year to my resume because it yeah. just broadens the net. Um, so yeah. if it is a new theater, then maybe I will, like, oh, okay, I can do that two month thing and then, and then pop over and still make a little chunk of change. But mm -hmm. yeah, actually a good friend of mine when I was, cause he had sort of done this, the same thing. He kind of went contract to contract to contract to contract. And when I was graduating, his advice was to, now this doesn't happen every year, but if try to add at least one, one to two new theaters to your resume because that just expands your network um, of theaters and people you know and places you've worked and so yeah there was a solid decade where I, I had the same philosophy I didn't really like it's kind of like I didn't really live anywhere but I also felt like I lived everywhere <laughs> no exactly it's uh and I think one of the things that I would say to people if they are working regionally, um, don't get so consumed with the work you're doing in the theater that you forget 
to explore the community, the uh, the nature, the 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 experiences that are at your fingertips that mm -hmm. sometimes are little to no cost. I know when we worked, you know, at a um, circa, you were always on the day off. You know, you went to go see the bridges of Madison County, the yeah, not the show, and um, you were always going on. Did y'all go to that funky house that? Um, Maybe that was a different contract. There's some house like in is it Wisconsin or something that someone oh, built. Yes. Yes. It's called the house on the rock. I know. Yes. yes. House on the rock. Yeah. It's this like weird, crazy, like house that this guy built on this giant rock and he just kept like adding on to it, like more rooms and more stuff. And now it's a museum. Um, guys, if you were in the Wisconsin area, like highly recommend it's super weird and super right. fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like going on these little like like day trip, like sightseeing trips. Um, you had mentioned before talking about you were talking about management in your jobs. And I wanted to kind of circle back to this because uh one of the I think newest questions of this podcast, just within the last six months, has been the topic of leadership. Um, I feel strongly like, I don't know, at some point. I would love to be in a position of leadership, not because of like, I want to be in charge or I want to make a lot of money or I want to cast myself in shows. Like, I don't want to do any of that. I mean, yeah, it would be, of course, it'd be nice to have a comfortable yeah. amount of money, but like, it's not where none of us are doing this to be millionaires. Um, but it would be nice to just like change some things and be in, be in a, in a place of power where you do have that opportunity to make things better for the people who are working for you. Um, like, what are your thoughts on leadership management? Like just how can they do better? How can we make it better for everybody? Um, that is a big one. Um, yeah, no, it's when I was younger, um, when I was a boy, <laughs> um, no, but so back in, um, back in the summer of art four, <laughs> I was company manager for theater West out in Nebraska, Western Nebraska, mm -hmm. because the previous summer, uh, in 2003, I had worked there and there were things that were done that I didn't agree with. So in my exit interview with the artistic director, I said, I think I would like to come back next summer. And in addition to doing some shows, I think I'd like to do that company manager slash managing director post because I think one, I could um, <laughs> vanity, do a better job. Uh, but two, I think just from you know college and high school did student government. And I was always that step below so I was VP in student government in high school, VP in student government in college. And the VP in a lot of situations does a lot of grunt work, a lot of. So as a company manager or managing director, I could keep an eye on things. And I told her specifically, you had some budget issues this year that I think that I can keep a better eye on than your current <laughs> Yeah, no, did. And I did. That next summer, 
I was a company manager slash managing director. And, you know, we did really well budget wise. Um, there are always going to be little headaches, but I think I was pretty decent with the conflict resolution and this and that. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. All that to say now <laughs> someone said, you should uh, open a theater. You should run a theater. And I said, um, no, you <laughs> <laughs> I was going to use some colorful language, but I thought I'm, I'm not entirely certain if we're PG 13 or what here. So, oh, you you can curse on here if you want to. Like, go huzzah! For it. Well, I'll, I'll throw out some bombs later. But um, <laughs> so, what I do appreciate and at least know now is what I recognize as strong leadership, mm-hmm. good leadership, and um, I think that the best leaders, administrators, what artistic directors, directors are like these master problem solvers. Mm. They're, they're great at, um, they're, they never have that mindset of like, that's not my job or that's not my problem or that's not, they are willing to, to get their hands dirty. They're empathetic. They're collaborative. They're not, so tied up in ego that they think that their idea is a the only idea and b the best idea that so there's humility there's uh compassion and another thing of some of the best leaders that i've seen or administrators is that they're really good at juggling the mission of the theater which is usually something a little more lofty like education outreach, um, inspiring, transforming the local community, the world at large, you know, those, you know, exposing people to ideas and this and that versus the business end of it, which is getting butts in the seat, growing donors, growing, you know, your, your endowment, your, if you have one, uh, all these other things that don't always, you know, we have those Venn diagrams of mm-hmm. where's the overlap. So, yeah, I mean, listening to Betsy Bowers um, episode, I was like, you, she is absolutely brilliant and the right person for that. But I don't think there's a dollar amount that would get me into one of those roles. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. It I mean, I, I have often sort of dreamed, like I would love to have my own performing arts center. Yeah. I I would love it. And I just, but I wish that I had, well, first of all, I would need to know how to run a business, which um, currently I don't know how to do that. And I would need a lot of money, which currently I don't have that either. So, huh. (laughs) But I have this whole vision for it. And I'm like, wouldn't it be great if we had this whole performing arts center where we did shows we did like main stage shows and we did children's theater shows and we had class we had dance classes and acting classes and voice lessons and you could you know learn how to play the piano and like just it would just be all this stuff and like community events and it would be so many things and so and I'm like I think it's difficult like how do you start you know how do you start this journey that's like a million miles like when it feels so over we're like what is even step one <laughs> so right and 
I know that was a rhetorical, but, um, <laughs> but I would say in any, you know, I don't think any theater starts, they have the long range goal of all that that you just right. mentioned. And then they're like, well, this is how we'll start. Right. Just a few things. And then right. you have to determine like in your community, can you build engagement? Mm. I am amazed with what, like, again, Todd Davison does in Macon, Missouri. Um, because it's, yeah, it's, it's just, but it's it's not just unique to there. You know, there's the Abilene, Kansas is where, uh, you know, Great Plains is still, but I'm thinking about its operation under like Mark Leiby and Mike mm -hmm. Misko and, you know, that yep. crew. Um but yeah, so the it's it's always interesting. The theaters that survive, persist, thrive in these out of the way places. How? What's the magic? What's the equation? I'm talking too much. No, not at all. Not at all. That's the whole point of this podcast. Is, is well, yes. <laughs> um <laughs> and so listeners if you're out there and you're like what is he talking about so all these places that andy is listing off is it's so funny like like theaters that we both have worked at but like not ever at the same time right so like he's talking about maples Ma maples repertory theater which is in macon missouri we're well circa 21 which is in the quad cities rock we island worked, yeah we both, it, yeah we've both worked there um great plains theater which is in kansas we've both worked but not never at the same time we've always sort of been like these two ships kind of passing each other or Rangers and the, <laughs> and, and, and the the intersection the intersection of all of that truly was um the that nebraska band. theater caravan yeah well yeah well also right nebraska there's another one nebraska theater caravan christmas carol tour so just like all this stuff um mm -hmm. How I feel like we okay, so we we talked about leadership, we talked about struggles. Now I, we got to talk about we got to talk about change. Like, how do you want to see the theater world change? You know, that's um, <clears throat> that's a tough one because you know, as we talked about um, at some point, I'm just quote unquote getting back into the game, like. Mm -hmm. Uh, the last thing I did was at the end of 2019 Christmas Carol tour. And, um, um, and then the pandemic happened and I did a couple of zoom readings and theater over zoom is such a strange. Yeah. Uh, out in Creed, I think once, I don't think it was 2020. It may have been 2021. No, it was 2020. They tried doing improv because they have an improv group that I've been a part of in the past and this past summer called Boomtown. So they tried to do Boomtown over Zoom. I'd never saw any of it, but I'm just so fascinated by. So, you know, in times like that, you have to give kudos to people for doing whatever was viable or possible. But moving forward, um, just the future of theater. I do think that exposure is a big thing. You know, I think TYA is so important. I think getting, getting them young is a big, I was gotten young. I think about 
um, when I was a kid, we always were bussed over to see the high school play for like a dress rehearsal or uh, they would take us on a field trip to see the Nutcracker or, you know, or blah, blah, blah. But I think exposure for those who are going to be inclined to it anyway or drawn to it anyway. That's how you like that, that spark. So exposure, um, but also some of the things that you were talking about, uh, if there is a community center that offers programs, mm -hmm. um, whether it's, hey, maybe here's a little elementary piano, or, hey, do you want to learn how a play gets put together? We're going to do, um, there's enough public domain material out there. You look at any of the Grimm's fairy tales, you know, it's like, we're going to reenact, uh, you know, Hansel and Gretel or something and uh, be part of that process. So uh, I think, though, um, sorry, I am going to look at my notes here real quick. He Listener, while he's taking a moment, um, he showed up to this interview very prepared. He had a notebook full of notes, which I knew that he would have. Um, and the other thing is like, if you're out there and you want to be a guest on this podcast, like, come on down, just have a chat. You know, you don't have, you, you it is optional. Having a notebook full of notes is optional. Um, <laughs> but he's taken a minute to, uh, re re review his, his thoughts here. Well, all right. No, um, no, I think really that pretty much covered it though. I think, um, it's not enough. I do feel that almost like parallel to to church, even though I'm not churchy, um, it can't be enough just to get them in the door. I don't mm -hmm. think theater, you know, we both know that each show is different and some small or big way um so it's not about just getting them in the door it's how do we get theater into the fabric of of the community mm. um mm -hmm. because if people see it as a luxury it needs to it needs to be more of a a necessity that we go to theater <laughs> like Nicole Kidman uh, we come to AMC theaters to feel to you know but you go to the theater too to experience and to feel and to be transported and and to learn and to challenge yourself um, so we need to continue I know theaters have to stay open and that's why we continue to do the the Hello Dollies and the Music Man and the Sound of Music and all these golden age classic uh, works. Um, but the theater also needs to continue holding that mirror up to, to society and to challenge. And we're kind of in this weird space in the last 15, however many years, where everything's so polar. You know, it's black or it's white, and where whereas we know that life is really in the gray. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah. I mean, there are notable exceptions, but um, right. Anywho, 
that's again a long way around that you know i think theater needs to continue to evolve because if it's if it, if it stays static then you're going to lose people because we're in the age of tiktok we're in the age of you know instagram everything is uh, bite size and um immediate gratification um so there needs to be some way that not that theater needs to be bite sized but um but it needs to stay relevant right i yeah i agree i agree with everything that you just said um and ma- and definitely making it more accessible i think uh, uh, yes accessibility i think a lot of times people just think oh, well, theater is so expensive, so I can't afford to take my family to go and see this show. I can't afford to go to New York and see a Broadway show. I can't, you know, that's, but right. It, it needs, it's theater isn't just for rich people. It's, it should be for everyone. Right. And of course, in New York, um, there are enough lotteries out there. Or right. go get up early in the morning and go stand in line for rush tickets or something. But mm-hmm. There definitely in New York, I always felt like I can probably count on one hand the times that you know, we paid full price for anything mm-hmm. because there are always options. It, it felt like anyway, right, right. But for yeah, theater, yeah, it definitely it shouldn't be seen as a classist mm-hmm. thing. It'd be for everyone, right. How how do you define success? <laughs> I think that was a question I was uh, uh, I'm dreading. Um, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people consider success as Broadway, Hollywood, you know, these big things. And yep. for me, particularly after a few years, all that mattered to me was being a working actor. And so if I could pay my bills and, you know, eke out a, a meaningful existence, not like I was, you know, scavenging the streets or anything, but a meaningful existence and working and doing shows, because we all know there are going to be some shows that are just a job. There's some shows that feed your soul. And, um, but yeah, so for me, it was like, as long as I'm continuing to grow and challenge myself, pay my bills, and still have time to, you know, the the cliched work-life balance, have a work-life balance, then I I definitely see that as success. Um, Now, that being said, a little more money wouldn't suck. But uh, but yeah, no, I um, there was a period of time where, particularly between like 2011 and 2016, where I felt like particularly on the ball with with my mix of theater, and I had, was doing marathons during that time, and then mm-hmm. still you know doing this and that. So it just felt like this great balance. Um, so yeah, if anything, that's what I feel like 
I'm I'm working towards now, now that I'm kind of getting my back into the theater, getting these other aspects in place as well. Been doing a lot of writing over the summer, which has been exciting. Yeah. So I feel like you are like the perfect person to talk to about this because it's like, I think for so long, I felt like guilty or like I wasn't allowed to ever take a break. And so, but you have taken breaks, it, you know, th- throughout your career and you, and you, and you just took a pretty lengthy break and now you are now coming back to performing again. And so like, what would you say to the person out there who maybe they're like just starting out? Maybe they just graduated college and they're like feeling overwhelmed and they're like, ah, well, I don't even know like where to begin. Or maybe they're, they've, they've, they're older and they've taken a a number of years, like a break for whatever reason, you know, it it could be a million different reasons. And now they're just coming back to it. And maybe they're also feeling like, oh God, I haven't auditioned for anything in so long. I haven't performed in a show in however many years, like what advice would you give to that person? Um, so I'm going to fragment this as quickly as possible. So like between 99 and 2002, when I was a college recruiter, I was still doing some shows occasionally, like when the, my schedule allowed it. Mm-hmm. But then I left that because, again, I just wanted to try and be doing theater, you know. Um, the hiatus that I had in insurance between 2005 and 2007 was a necessity. Yeah. It's just one of those, okay, no one's you know paying my bills for me. So it's I don't I don't have a sugar daddy or a sugar mammy or a uh <laughs> you know a trust fund or anything. So that was unnecessary and they kept on promoting me. I did not intend to stay in insurance as long as I did, but those people kept every it's like six months like, hey, you're doing a great job. Why don't we move you up to this position and blah blah blah. I was like, uh um I did, but I made myself indispensable enough that they allowed me to take a summer summer leave in the summer of 07 to go out to Creed and do the summer season. And then I came back that fall and I got back to the office and my uh, manager, as soon as I sat down and he was like, well, did you get that out of your system? And yes, yes. As soon as he said that, I, in my head was like, Okay, let's make our exit strategy. So between (laughs) September of 2007 and the following May of 2008, I got new headshots, did a Christmas show. I did plaid tidings and kind of did some mini tours around Florida. I just took some personal days and my office never knew about it. Actually, one of my office friends did because she came and saw me in the villages. Um, but she knew that she couldn't tell anyone. And she then knew. I also went to UPTA. Uh-huh. Again, I said, well, I've got a family thing. Went to UPTA. And I lined up about nine months, somewhere between nine months and a year of work before I turned in my two-week notice. Mm-hmm. And the manager who said that you got that out of your system, he was like, I understand, you know, if I could leave here and just go play golf professionally which is a different you know not everyone's tiger woods actors are a dime a dozen so we can and there are enough regional 
not to devalue, I'm not trying to devalue actors, but there are enough regional places that, you know, you can find, you can find your projects. Um, so to, good Lord, let's just have Andy's memoir right here. Um, what I would say, if you're just starting out, find a side hustle. Mm. That is super important. And by side hustle, I don't mean like necessarily monetizing a hobby. Um, but I, out of uh, principle, I didn't even have my first serving job until I was almost 30 because I thought it was a cliche, the actor server. Oh my God, what an amazing way to help bankroll your professional. Yeah. So yes, it's a great, it's a great resource. Uh, I have a friend in Chicago who started her own dog walking company because she did, I think, probably a little wag at the beginning, but it's so hit or miss, wag walking. I did that for a bit too. But she, so she has her own personal dog walking business. Mm -hmm. um, people, I have friends that have gotten into uh, doing books, audio books, in addition to their theater work and mm -hmm. have really developed a network with that. So, um, so for, if you're just starting out, you know, yeah, find opportunities, create opportunities, get the side hustle. I understand at the end of the day, you still have to pay those bills. So maybe if you're in a bigger city, uh, temping is going to be a great thing uh, just because they'll usually work with, they know it, you know, New York, Chicago, they know the actor's schedule. So um, if you're wanting to get back into it, I didn't do after the pen. I say after the pandemic, like we're not still in it. Heck, we have three people in our cast right now with COVID. Oh so, no! No, thank you, God, for understudies. Um, yeah, and a flexible ensemble. Um, no, but uh, if you're looking to get back into it, take the leap. Um, I honestly didn't think I would ever do theater again, mm -hmm. but at the same time. I was at Amtrak for all of like five or six months and I just couldn't stay there. I had done other little things. I was like, I just can't stay here. This, it's like I, my life can't, this can't be the, the sum of mm -hmm. my, my journey or whatever. And then uh, last fall uh, or the fall 2022, Creed Rep announced their season for 2023 and they he announced a show that was like, oh my God, I'm, I have to submit. I may not be cast, but I have to at least submit because, um, and you know, everything fell into, fell into line. And then after I posted about opening Clue this past summer, mm -hmm. where, where I am now, Springer, they reached out to me <laughs> because Keith McCoy, someone that I had worked with at a dinner theater outside Nashville in 2011, um, I guess must have seen that I was working again, doing theater again. Yeah. Says, hey, are you available? And so blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I guess just don't be afraid. And I have a, a very dear friend that um, when I went out to Alaska, excuse me, uh, in 2015, they uh, definitely had the mentality of say yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, always be open. Uh, always be willing to 
to say yes, even if it scares you, especially if it scares you, because those are usually the worthwhile. Things. Well, look at that. You're they were like, oh, Andy Brown's doing a show. All these theaters are contacting you. You're in demand. Well, and that's, I think, um, conflating, conflating, inflating. I don't know. It's something with aiding um, the, the truth of it. But um, but no, I'm definitely grateful that at least right now I'm booked through about the end of March. Oh, my God. Amazing. And so, yeah, um, sort of, you know, this past May through the end of March and then um we'll see um what happens from here you know i've started looking looking beyond and ahead and mm -hmm. also like i said i have started kind of dabbling my pen back into writing again so uh trying to start submitting you know see theaters that want to look into doing new work mm -hmm. nice amazing yeah. it's so great it's yeah it's you, theater is just it's always going to be there in some shape or form it's it's always going to be around and it's okay to take breaks I know for me I feel like I am taking a, a break from performing right now um, I haven't performed in a show in over four years and that feels like an absolute eternity to me right it feels like a really long time but I'm taking a break for several reasons um well one of which is being a mom. And I just don't feel like right now, I don't feel like I have the time to, you know, be in rehearsal for 10, 12 hours a day or be in an eight show performance, you know, schedule right now and also be a mom to a small child and also be a college professor and also be a, you know, it's like, it's just too many things. So it's like sometimes things, certain things have to be moved to the back burner and it is, it's hard for me. It is because I would love to be performing in a show right now, but like I had gotten to a point now where like I had performed in like, I don't even know, nine, 10, 11, 12 shows a year. And I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, this is too much. I'm like, I right. need a break. I need a break. Yeah. Um, just to kind of go back. It's okay to take breaks too. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I was probably better off for not being or trying to even you know sometimes you have to do step away um for yourself or your family uh in, in your case and um there is someone and i'll have to tell them about you and you about them but leisha watson that i worked with uh first at great plains in abilene kansas for barefoot in the park back in 08 mm -hmm. but then in recent years have done a lot with her at maples rep in macon mm -hmm. She started like her a big chunk of her career was as an educator. Mm -hmm. And then she after she she left that and got into theater and has wow. been working, gosh, probably the past 15 to 20 years consistently. Um, she's an equity actor. Um, mm -hmm. just fabulous. She and her husband live in New York now. They used to be Kansas City based. Sorry. And, um, but yeah, so no breaks, you, you always, at the end of the day, um, you absolutely have to do what's best for you. Yeah. And if that yep. means taking a break, that's okay. Yeah. Do you, I always ask everybody to end with like a favorite 
theater memory or story? Anything that stands out in your mind today? That is, woof, that is uh, a toughie. Um, because Into the Woods, I did that in 2008 at Mill Mountain Theater in Roanoke, Virginia, mm -hmm. which was uh, definitely as the Baker dream role. Mm -hmm. And um, my sister, one of my sisters, and Aunt Clay came to see it. They had tickets for Saturday, but they got in Friday and they were like, we'll go ahead and just see Friday night too. That night a flash pot went off, you know, when the witch transforms mm -hmm. beauteous, you know, um, lady. And as we're getting ready to go into the finale, I looked in my peripheral vision and it's like, oh, stage is on fire. And so I'm there with the baker's wife and I'm like, looks like the stage is on fire back there. She's like, yeah, it is. I'm going to go back there and maybe see if I can put it out. Yeah, okay. So I go back there and I have my baker's hat, which the costumer after the fact was like, do not use your costume to try and put out a fire. But so I'm swatting at the 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 flame from the flash pot and whatever. Uh, and it's not doing a whole, it's doing a little bit. But finally, uh, the actress who was playing the witch um, just calmly steps forward and it's like, fire extinguisher, please. And so, you know, Stage management had already put a call back into, you know, Steve, Stephen in the back, and he was running to get the extinguisher, but it was yeah. crazy. And my sister was like, well, if I hadn't witnessed it, I don't know if I would have believed that. But no, that was a great, um, interesting uh, experience. And one of my favorite things about that contract, in an intermission, uh, the guy who played Cinderella's Prince and I did a sock puppet show every day in intermission called Mr. Shaggins <laughs> and I did a theme song for it and everything so every day during intermission there was an entire first season that we did there at intermission and then I roped in my Barefoot in the Park cast I wrote the second season and we did that at the actor housing it's hysterical very inappropriate and crass but um <laughs> I would surely be canceled today I think but uh, maybe not well, not on there's no people like show people. You're not canceled. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I got before we go, I gotta say, so one of like my favorite stage memories with you was during the music man, obviously. So we're bringing it back from our story at the beginning of this episode, where we were, it was um in the middle of 76 trombones and like full company like dance number. So everybody got up and did a little dance and it was always you and me. We were right next to each other. <laughs> we were like down all the way downstage, right in the front. And we were like, why is Ethel Toffelmeyer and the constable in the front awesome. line? Yes. It was like marching. It was like a lot of like arm, like Trump playing, pretending to play the trombone action. But you and I, we just like lived it up and pretended like it. we were just like, it was like the best moment of our entire lives was to get up and do that dance. Yes. <laughs> Together. Because especially you were, you were like, Sarah, not a dancer at all. <laughs> and you were, you were like, how am I going to, I don't know. How am I going to learn? And I'm like, it's just marching. It's just marching and playing the trombone, you know? Right. And that was, yeah, I can, I can do that. But yeah, I'm like, when they say mover, that's, that's, I always went to the mover audition. 
Oh, and I would also say to double back, uh, you're asking, you know, suggestions for people getting in. Yeah. Look at those regional auditions for like UPTA, SETC, Straw Hat, any of those, you know, uh, mm -hmm. some have gone away since uh, COVID. But and if you can't make it to the audition, they always have on their website the attending companies. Pirate that list. Go to those individual websites. See their seasons. Find, you know, things that, oh, I could do that. And then you can always just submit to the theater directly. So smart. So smart. You're right. Even if for some reason, I don't know, you've missed the deadline for registration or you didn't get in or whatever, who knows? Maybe you can't afford to go. Yeah, right. usually usually those um, sort of mass audition websites have a list of the attending companies. Go in, click on the theater, see what are they doing? What shows are they doing? And then send an email. You know, send send that headshot resume, send a couple videos, send your reel. You just never know. You never know when um, I can't tell it like it's it's been frustrating and it's been flattering, but also frustrating for me because specifically in the last like year to two, there's been a couple of times where uh, they've needed a last minute replacement for something and somebody has emailed me or texted me or called me or whatever and been like, Hey, so-and-so dropped out. So-and-so has an injury. So-and-so has COVID like whatever it is. Um, can you go into the show in like three days? I'm like, um, I have a preschooler. Like I can't like <laughs> that. And then, and then I feel sad because I want to like, you know, like I want, I like, and I feel so honored and so flattered to be, um, you know, thought of, uh, reached out to considered remembered even, um, you know, so it's just like, yeah, I don't I don't know. It'll be interesting to see like when when my return to the stage is going to be cuz at this point I don't even know. Well, you'll get there. I have no doubt that that you'll get there. It's uh Thank you. No, I mean <laughs> if this guy I can make a return, anything's possible. No, but uh but no, truly, just you you wear so many hats and you have so much in your bag your bag of tricks i mean like you can direct you can choreograph you you can act you can sing um yeah so you're so versatile that when the time is right yeah you'll you'll, you'll be back thank you that that means a lot to me actually coming from you well i thank you <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Any, any, like, I don't know, closing words or thoughts for today? Mm, no. A quote, a song lyric. Uh, should we, you know, should we bring it back to Music Man always and just say good night, good night, my someone? <laughs> I'll be like, good night, girly girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a skeezy, skeezy Charlie Cow. Sometimes those characters are, are really fun to play. Um, but yeah yeah i was you had you had like some of the best lines in the show there was that one about like that harold hill has what was it has always been like the raspberry seed in my wisdom tooth or like <laughs> nothing like that no i sometimes i particularly yeah. since it's been you know since 2017 those lines are definitely purged from the uh the old noggin but no it's yeah it's just those that was such, for me, that was a full circle moment because, because Charlie was one of the first roles that I ever played. Mm -hmm. And to come back to it and get to do it 
with a different understanding. And I will, I'm going to say one more thing and I hate to run long. No, um, not at all. Not well, at all. Um, I think sometimes when artists are younger, they get really, and listen to Grampy Andy now, um, they get really caught up in the sound of their voice, not in like hearing themselves talk, but for musicals, oh, does it sound pretty? Mm -hmm. And the biggest lesson that I learned um, along the way is that uh, as long as you're, you know, acting the truth of the moment, it doesn't matter if it's pretty. Mm. Because what you, you're working the moment, you're working your, your beats and your tactics and your, you know, your verbs and all that jazz. And, um, and that's what I'm really getting back to it now uh, is what I'm finding so much joy. I may not have the vocal range that I had, say, 15, even 20 years ago, but I'm making it work and I'm having so much fun with it because I'm not caught up in, is it, is it classically pretty? Right. You know. Right. Right. D do I look good? Do I sound good? Is it perfect? Is it, you know, you get so self-conscious and now yeah, it's like, am yeah. I getting a, a, an honest moment? Mm. Which, you know, obviously you should be thinking about 20 years ago, but anyway. Right. But it's, and, and isn't that nice that sort of by you having done this for, for so long and you, you sort of like grown into a much more like honest and genuine place where you can enjoy it more and you don't have to like look or sound a perfect, you know, you don't have to be perfect or be a certain way. You can just be you and be honest and tell the story in a much more authentic way. Yeah, no, I think so. I think so. So anyhow. Amazing. Thank you for, for having me. Uh, oh my goodness. Andy, like I have wanted to record this episode with you for over three years now. So I'm so, I'm just so grateful that we finally found the time to sit down and chat. Well, I know that I wouldn't have had the, the words or the, probably the right mental state to articulate right. three years ago. Good Lord. Totally totally understand um yeah and i think again like i think well that yeah, there we go there's there's a good closing is that everything in its time and everything happens when it's supposed to and um you are like at the you are exactly where you were supposed to be and doing what you're supposed to be doing in your life and your career right now wherever you may be out there so thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. And um, listeners, we'll see you back for the next episode. Bye.